We're back in the Sermon on the Mount, where we left off back in November, finishing up chapter 5, and we are back in chapter 6, and I am so excited, I was so thankful that David Barton filled in for me on such short notice last week, Um, but his message was just perfect from John 15 about what it is to abide in Christ. And what we're going to be talking about as we continue to go through chapters 6 and 7 over the next couple months, maybe years, we'll find out. But as we go into this next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at our personal spiritual disciplines. And that's really what Jesus is continuing to talk about as we left off in chapter 5. And uh, again, last week as David was talking about abiding in Jesus, and what we are going to be going through here in chapter 6 is almost the how-to process of how we abide in him. How we find our rest, how we find our strength, how we build our spiritual lives by abiding in Him, the picture of the vine, of us only being able to attach ourselves, the only time that our fruits that will last are when we are properly attached and plugged into the vine as the vine feeds us with what we need in order to bear fruit. So the first thing we'll talk about is spiritual disciplines, but also, and and jumping into tonight, we're going to see what happens when our heart is aligned with Jesus. And over the next four or five weeks, we're going to see that when our heart is aligned with Jesus, it changes how we pray, it changes how we fast, it changes how we give, it changes how we forgive, it changes every aspect of our life. But I'd be remiss if we didn't go back to chapter 5 of the Beatitudes. Remember, as Jesus is preaching this message, and it is believed that this message, the Sermon on the Mount that we have here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we also have in Luke, is believed to be the message that Jesus preached repeatedly. This was the main message of Jesus as he would walk around teaching people. And everything began back in the Beatitudes when he said, blessed are, and that word blessed, again, is uh, being able to take part of the character of God. That when we are blessed, it means that that little bit that now we can become like him in his character, and it says, blessed are the one poor in spirit, meaning blessed are those who have been humbled, those who demonstrate humility because they properly recognize who they are and who God is. And then blessed are those, uh, almost the, the saying as we, as we remembered, happy are the sad. Blessed are those who have been able to recognize their sin and have repented from it, who have mourned over it. Blessed are those who mourn, who are able to understand just how, uh, how dead in our trespasses and sins we were and how much we needed Christ. And that attitude causes us to continually repent from our heart's sinful desire to follow after Christ. Blessed are the meek. That is us being able to let go of all of who we are, our Uh, uh, talents and our abilities and our gifting, and we allow God to be in complete control of those. Blessed are those who thirst after, thirst and hunger for righteousness. In other words, blessed are those you take part of God's character when you chase after 
as if you were coming off of a survival show where you haven't eaten in two weeks, walking into a buffet restaurant. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness. We chase after it. We cannot wait to have that spiritual growth in our life. Blessed are those, the peacemakers. Blessed are those who seek after that shalom, that state of peace that only comes through God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And it is when we allow those aspects of our heart to be fully turned over, when we recognize who we are and in humility and in repentance and in allowing God to have control over everything that we are, are and we hunger and thirst for righteousness, now we get to this part. When we're able to allow the Holy Spirit to do his transformation in our hearts. And remember, we're going to be talking about this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. When we are conformed, it means the outside pressure. The outside culture is changing us into who it wants us to be. But when we are transformed, it starts through the Holy Spirit working inside of us and it affects the culture around us. And so our focus tonight is going to be on the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6. I'm actually going to read the first 18 verses. Uh, And so if you will follow along with me and then we'll repeat. My battery's maybe going out on this light, John. I don't know if we have more batteries. Possibly. We're okay right now. But uh, starting in chapter 6, we're going to read the first 18 verses. This is where we're going to be the next four weeks. And then tonight... We'll be in verses one through four. So read with me, Matthew chapter six. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not Let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's go back to the first four verses and just read those again. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. 
So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. What we're going to focus on tonight is the fact that Jesus was continually confronting hypocrisy. Jesus was continually confronting hypocrisy. And I know what you're thinking. What's a hypocrite? I have never heard that term used before. I've never heard of hypocrisy in a church. I've never heard of anyone pretending to be something that they're not. I was really hoping to have a lot more laughter on that one. Almost daily, or weekly, I should say, I have conversations with people who say, well, I would go to church except for all the hypocrites. And I hold back from saying, let me know when you find a place that doesn't have hypocrites. Because I've been looking for one, but it seems everywhere I go, a hypocrite hypocrite shows up. And it's normally me. What a hypocrite was is a hypocrite was literally an actor who, instead of wearing makeup as actors or theater productions do now, uh, their stage face was a mask hiding the person's actual face. So the actor could actually be sad on the inside. Picture somebody who uh, just had horrible news given to them, but the show must go on. And so they put on a mask of somebody smiling and happy when underneath that mask they are actually in tears and sad and brokenhearted. And that's what a hypocrite was. A hypocrite that Jesus is calling out is they appear to look one way, but underneath there's something completely different. And a lot of the times Jesus is usually talking about the religious leaders when he is using this term. But the meaning is much more broad. Uh, Mark 7, 6, I love how Jesus kind of uses the prophet uh, Isaiah. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Everything looked good on the outside, but the inside was completely different. The face is showing the world the opposite of where the heart actually is. We read Matthew 23 a couple times when we were going through chapter 5, when Jesus is just being extremely confrontational to these religious leaders. And he repeats the phrase hypocrites, I believe, 17 times in those verses. You hypocrites, you blind guides, you hypocrites, you... And he fills it in to these religious leaders who, although they claim to know God better than anyone else, did not recognize the Messiah, the Son of God, when he was standing in front of them. They were more interested in keeping their following, keeping their popularity, keeping their influence than they were of worshiping the true God. Augustine wrote, It is not the being seen of men that is wrong, but doing these things for the purpose of being seen of men. The problem with the hypocrite is his motivation. He does not want to be holy. He only wants to seem to be holy. He is more concerned with his reputation for righteousness than about actually becoming righteous. The approbation of men matters more to him than the approval of God. So we see Jesus confronting hypocrisy. And as he's going into this list of spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, giving, forgiving, that we'll cover in chapter 6, 
what we see is that Jesus is going back to the root issue, our hearts. Our sinful nature that continually comes back over and over again. But when our heart is in the right place, we don't have to force ourselves to do the things we are intended to do. One writer writes, in many ways, the attitude of obedience is much more vital than the act. Because if the attitude is right, the act will naturally follow. But the right action with the wrong motive is nothing but hypocrisy. Think about the wording used in these first four verses. It was implied, because this is how it was then, that giving, fasting, and praying were all things that someone who believes in God does. But the problem, and remember, Jesus is in the temple. He's spending time around Jerusalem. Here he's obviously on the Sermon on the Mount in Galilee. But he's spending time, and he's seeing And Jesus knows their hearts, and he's seeing these outward actions being done. Uh, For instance, when he talks about uh, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In the temple, there was an area to go and give money that was kind of back off in a corner, away from where the majority of the people were, so you could give in secret. And then people who were needy would be able to go and collect what they needed without being seen by everybody in order to kind of... protect themselves. But what the religious leaders, they wanted to make sure that everybody knew what they were giving. They wanted to post it to social media. They wanted to make sure, and uh, when it says don't sound trumpets, that's where we get the phrase, don't toot your own horn. They wanted to make sure that it was known what they were doing. And to the point where at this time, a lot of Jewish people who were not wealthy thought, I can never be spiritual because I don't have enough money to be. The Pharisees and the religious leaders had uh, learned to make a great profit off of their people. The reason Jesus is going through the temple is because a lot of the religious leaders and the high priest uh, and the different, uh, the Sadducees mainly and the Pharisees, they learned how to profit off of their own people. So the majority of them were quite wealthy. And so people would see the wealth and think, I just can't be as spiritual as them. I don't have the money to be. They were blind guides. They were leading people astray. Again, think about it. They were doing what was expected to be seen by men, but there was no relationship with God. They did not recognize the Son of God when he was standing in front of them. Why? Well, I like to compare this um, to idol worship. We've talked a lot about this in the last uh, several months of uh, what idol worship truly is. And we've learned to really make nice little sayings about idol worship and learn to cover it up. But when we get to the heart of the matter, uh, we'll see that we are probably uh, involved in a lot more idol worship than we like to let on. So question number one for you this evening is, are you growing in a relationship with God or are you worshiping idols? Are you growing in a relationship with God or are you worshiping idols? And I've said it a couple of times over the last several years. It's something that I've uh, noticed. I have zero scientific evidence to back me up on this. Uh, But I also can fall into this trap. And that is we substitute spiritual busyness for spiritual growth. 
And as I am sitting and listening to conversations in coffee shops or wherever, and I, you know, I'm eavesdropping, it's, I don't know if it's sin if you're in a coffee shop to put earbuds in but never turn music on just so you can hear the conversations around you, but it's fun. Uh, but I hear conversations like, how are you growing spiritually? And the response back is, oh, I'm involved in this team, I'm involved in this team, I go to this group, I did this trip. And I want to turn around and say, no, 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 he asked you how you're growing spiritually, not how busy is your schedule. I'm not saying you can't grow in those avenues, uh, but are we asking our, the question, are we actually growing in relationship with God? As we said, our, our term, our, the way we define discipleship here at Hope Church is, are you moving one step closer in your relationship with Christ? Can you look back and say, I used to be there, but now I'm here? I think long, several years ago, I remember uh, um, fake, I uh, can't remember what they're called, a fake website that put up news terms and whatever. The one said, college girl goes on short-term missions trip and it totally changes her profile picture. <laughs> and I remember thinking, uh, working at a college, a Bible college at the time, that's so true. A lot of times we do these things for how it appears to others. And in reality, it is idol worship. So again, are you growing in a relationship with God or are you worshiping idols? You see, the hypocrites were doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. The hypocrites are doing all the right things for all the right reasons. Think about it. They were doing what was expected. It was expected that as a religious leader, not only did you do this, but you upped your game a little bit. Like you went above and beyond. And as we go through, and again, this isn't an exhaustive study on hypocrites and the religious leaders, but as we go through time after time after time, we see Jesus and we see the apostles and as they confront in the temple and as they confront the religious leaders, they're constantly, again, doing it out of love. Their, their desire that we see with Jesus, that we see in uh, John chapter three as he meets with Nicodemus, that we see after Jesus dies and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are the ones who take his body. And I believe they had come to follow after Christ and understood what he was doing, although I won't know for a long time, you see Jesus' heart is for them. Uh, we see in Mark the, the way that Jesus records after he's talking to this rich young ruler and after he says, uh, sell everything and follow me. And the rich young ruler is sad and goes away because he wasn't going to do that. But Jesus loved him still. It says Jesus loved him. So Jesus did love these men, but he was also understanding that they were claiming to know God, but they were blind guides. They were continually leading them astray, even though everything they did was right. And according to not just the law, but all the laws they added to it to make sure they were super spiritual. But in reality, there was no relationship with God there. They were worshiping idols and that idol was themselves and how they appeared to others. Hypocrisy is nothing more than idol worship because it is the worship of self. It is the worship of how other people view me. You know, think of Romans 1 and several other passages and, and Paul's explaining like, understand with an idol, you made it. 
We think of carved images of, of wood, and back then, and we're like, well, we don't have idols now. And I've seen people go on vacation and bring back an idol, uh, and parents throw it away saying, we're not going to have idols in our house. Here's your smartphone, and there's the television, and here's all your schedule for this week of all the leagues you're in, but no idols in here, buddy. And I'm not saying those things are, in essence, idols. It's how our approach to them is. It is all about our self-worship. And we create these idols for ourselves. Uh, Romans 1, Ephesians 5.5, 5, Colossians 3.5. Everything with these idols, we, we substitute the word idol for other words. But when it comes down into the essence of what it is, it is idol worship. So I want to look at how do we compare idol worship versus a relationship with God? How do we contrast idol worship with a relationship with God? God. Number one, idol worship, the focus is on me and how I look. Idol worship, the focus is on me and how I look. We ask ourselves the questions, how do I lie, how do I look, and what do people think of me? As opposed to a relationship with God is putting the focus on God and what he desires, knowing it is best for us. Secondly, idol worship is all about what I enjoy or what I feel like doing. Now, in the Roman world, there were idols and there were temples galore. And throughout the history of mankind, since humans were invented in sin, Satan loves to throw out all sorts of idols, depending on the culture you live in, depending on what's going on around you. They, he has thrived in giving you idols that he disguises as things that are okay or things that are important. So when I say that idol worship is all about what I enjoy or what I feel like doing, understand that the way you worshiped at different temples during this time period had everything to do with your own sinful desires under the name of worship. In fact, I just saw a study recently that right now the world has never been more spiritual as a world. Meaning that people are seeking out spirituality in general. Whether that spirituality is me, idol worship, false religions, you name it, but the world as a whole has never been more spiritual or claimed to be more spiritual than it does right now, but it takes incredibly different forms. And we see Satan offering everybody what it is that their sinful desire goes after. They worshiped idols by going to uh, temple prostitutes. They worshiped idols by harming themselves. They worshiped idols by everything that we see people doing today that we would say is sin and that they shouldn't be involved in. It was a way to worship these different idols, going back to our sin nature. And the more sin nature you could do, the more you were worshiping that idol, the more you were going to do it. But we do the same thing today. It is a center on self. We really enjoy doing this. And so we're going to justify it and make it okay. And in some cases, like the Pharisees, it was doing the right thing for the wrong motives. It was all about me. However, a relationship with God is showing gratitude for all he has done for us. 
When we grow spiritually, we can tell by, again, we use Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. Are we lining up living in the Spirit? When we really start to examine how we spend our time and our resources and and what our relational equity looks like with others, we can start to see, am I really following after God? Is my life matching up with, when I say that this is what I worship and I evaluate where I've spent my time this last week and I evaluate where I spend my money and I evaluate what my relationships look like and which relationships I put as priority over others, can I honestly say that I worship God? When we start going back to the Beatitudes, when we start with that humility, understanding who I am and understanding who he is understanding how dead in my trespasses and sin I was with no hope, and then finding the hope that only he can offer, it changes our relationship of gratitude towards God. Number three, idol worship was all about my convenience. Idol worship was all about what fit into my busy schedule. So we ask the question, are we doing what's convenient? And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. I'm not saying that you need to make incredible sacrifices for reasons that are unnecessary just to be, again, seen by men. But idol worship was always about what was easiest and what I enjoyed doing. As opposed to a relationship with God as being a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. That every part of our life demonstrates that God is more important to us. Every day, we start off by offering ourselves to God and saying, here it is. It is all yours. You guide me the only way that you can through your Holy Spirit, or the only way that I should be obeying you through your Holy Spirit's guidance in every aspect of my life. Does every part of our life demonstrate that God is most important to us? Number four, and again, this isn't an exhaustive study, but number four, idol worship is done when we create something the way we want it and expect everyone to worship it the way we want. Idol worship is when we create something or when we think we've discovered something or we found something and we start to get frustrated with other people when they're not worshiping it the way that we believe they should. Here's an example. You're driving down the road. You're the best driver you've ever met. And you think people should know that. And then somebody cuts you off, and you instruct them in strategic ways, letting them know that's not how you appreciate being worshipped. And then they respond because they also have a very high respect level for their driving. And then they respond back, letting you know you're not worshipping them the way they feel that they should be worshipped. And really, I I believe it was Matt Chandler said that that's really whenever we find ourselves getting upset, it's because we have such a high opinion of self that we can't understand why somebody wouldn't listen to us, do what we want, when we want it. And in a lot of cases, and this is my own words, how did they not read my mind? Don't they know who I am? In my head, I'm phenomenal. And you should be doing exactly what I want, where I want, when I want. And so a lot of the time, the very idol isn't a as much a carbon image as it is our own hearts. We create something the way we want and expect everyone to worship it the way we want. And that's usually the most true about ourselves. 
about our schedule, about my time, my money. However, our relationship with God is allowing the creator of all things to guide us, his created beings, into a more reliant and being more thankful for him. As we go through these next couple of weeks, I'm really excited to go in and start talking about prayer. I've been studying for it. It's already just destroying my heart. We're going to have some really special services doing things we haven't really done before as we examine what it means to look at our prayer life. But again, when, we grow, when we're growing spiritually, it means that we have a relationship with God, who is the creator of all things, and we're allowing him to guide us into being more reliant on him and being more thankful for all that he's done. And question number two to ask yourself, are you desiring to be more like Christ or are you putting on a show? Are you desiring to be more like Christ or are you putting on a show? And this is when we really do a heart check and examine our spiritual lives. We have to ask ourselves, are we truly at the core of it? When we are at home and we're like, man, I have nothing to do. I should pick up my Bible. Man, I have nothing to do. I should spend more time in prayer. Boy, I have not. What is our true desire? Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness or are we just putting on a show whenever there's an audience? And over the next couple of weeks, especially, we are going to examine our prayer lives, our time alone with God, how we forgive, how we give. And as we do that, we will be able to determine, are we growing in our relationship with God? Or are we those hypocrites who put on a great outward appearance for all to see, but inside, as Jesus told them, you are whitewashed tombs. The outside is all prettied up. And the inside is rotten bones. Again, when we allow our hearts to be aligned with Christ, it doesn't take work. When we are in a proper relationship with God and we see where our hearts are and we see as we follow him, the actions will just naturally follow when our hearts are aligned with Christ. When we are abiding with him, when we are fully plugged into that vine, and allowing the nutrients coming through it to be God's word through the Holy Spirit because of all he's done for us, we will naturally bear fruit. But if we are an unattached branch to that vine trying to bear fruit, we will wear ourselves out. We will never, as John 15 says, we will never have bear fruit that lasts. So these are the questions that I want you to start asking yourself as we go through this week. Because this is an opportunity to grow. This is an opportunity to keep each other accountable as we uh, go into community groups. And if you're not in a community group, uh, please come and talk to me or Will or Liz uh, afterwards. We would love where we have them all through the week at different times, early morning, evenings, whatever. We will make it work. But we see this is where as we go through this, this is really where it's going to start hitting home. How are we growing? Are we actually growing in our spiritual lives or are we just putting on a show? Are we just busying up our schedules? Because this is going to be our focus moving forward. I actually wanted to start in January saying, hey, let's just spend this year praying. We've been saying for a couple months, we don't know what God's doing. 
We don't know where God's leading, but man, am I excited to find out. And so as a church, our, our, our goal is that this year would just be dedicated to praying together, praying privately, setting aside time to just pray, asking God, what is it that you want for me? What is it you want for my family, for, for this community, for our, for our church? What is it that you want, and can you guide us to do your will? Coming up when we talk through the Lord's Prayer. So that's why we're putting such a strong emphasis on prayer for this year. That's why we are, as we have gone through the Sermon on the Mount, that's why we keep coming back to where is your heart? Are you actually growing spiritually or are you just putting on a show? So it's going to be hard hitting. I know because I've been crushed already. I hope that you join with us as we continually say, we are in this together. We are in this to be iron sharpening iron. We are in this to learn together, to grow together. Not for our glory, but for God's glory. And so in just a few moments, we're going to go into a time of communion and spending time just to reflect on all that God has provided for us through his son. I'm going to ask, we're going to spend a couple more minutes in prayer than, than normal, but I want you to spend time talking to God. As 1 Corinthians 11 says, that we would examine ourselves, that we would examine our life. So take time to think back of this last week. How much time did you spend alone with God? How much time did you spend uh, uh, growing spiritually? How would you say that you're growing spiritually? Or maybe the question that you have to ask yourself is, do I know God? Have I began that relationship with him? Have I made Jesus the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life? Have I confessed to him my need for forgiveness of the sins in my life and called out for him to become Lord and Savior of my life? And maybe it's that time, this, this couple moments that we're going to spend praying right where you are, that you would call out to him and begin that relationship with God our Father who loves you so much and cares for you so much that he sent his own son to defeat sin and to defeat death for you. So right now, if you would, we're gonna send, I'll set a timer for four minutes, I guess. Just came up with that number. Nothing spiritual about it. And just right where you are, I want you to spend time just, again, evaluating, examining your life just over the last week, examining how do I see where I was a year ago, six months ago? Have I seen spiritual growth in my life? And then spend time and pray, God, God, use your Holy Spirit to allow me to be able to see how you want me to grow. And then after four minutes, we'll go into a time of communion. But right where you are, silently right where you are, let's just go into this time of prayer together.